2019, there was a survey done looking at what parents most want for their children when they grow up. Let's count down from 10 to 1. Number 10, to have a fulfilling social life. Number 9, have a passion outside of work. Number 8, not to have their heart broken. Number 7, to be respected by their friends and colleagues. Number 6, to find a career they enjoy. Number 5, to be kind. Number 4, to be loved. Number 3, to have a stable family life. Number 2, to be healthy. And the thing that parents wanted for their children more than anything else was for them to be happy. I wonder what you think of that list. For the parents in this room, I wonder how that resonates with what you most want for your children. I'm not a parent, but I think there's some wisdom in that list. You will notice that there was no mention of money in it. Parents want their children to be content more than they want them to be rich. It's fair to say that all good parents want their children to be happy and loved and grow up to be strong men and women of good character. But of course, for parents, the difficult bit is helping their children on the journey to get there. I looked at a couple more surveys that research what educational experts think are the best pieces of advice for parents to give their children. One survey listed their top three pieces of advice as these. Think for yourself. Maintain your integrity. Find your passion and give it 100%. Another survey had this. Learn to say thank you. Get outside. Eat meals with others. Colour in. Meditate. I wonder what you think of those surveys. Do you agree with them? Will these instructions lead children to be happy and loved and of good character? Perhaps after the service on your way home, you might like to think, what were the best pieces of advice my parents gave to me when I was growing up? And again, those of you who are parents, what have you passed on to your children? On Sunday evenings, we as a church are looking through the book of Proverbs. Proverbs is a book of wisdom. It's designed to help us live life to the full. It's designed to pass on the practical common sense that will help us to get the most out of our days on earth. And over the last few weeks, we have discovered that wisdom is something that is gained from experience. And then it's passed on down the generations. In particular, wisdom is passed on from parent to child. And in the opening section of the book, Proverbs 1 to 9, there are 10 parental talks. A mother and a father seeking to give their best advice to their son, who has come of age and is about to enter the big wide world. And tonight we're looking at the third of these 10 talks. And what is interesting about this one is that we learn what the parents want most for their son and their top advice on how to get it. So what is it that these parents want for their child? 
Well, listen again to how the passage begins. My son, do not forget my teaching, but keep my commands in your heart, for they will prolong your life many years and bring you peace and prosperity. What is it that these parents want? They want their child to have a long life, to be at peace and to know prosperity. It appears then that very little has changed in the 3,000 years since this book was written. Parents have always wanted their children to be healthy and settled and successful in life. However, what has changed is the advice that parents pass on to help their children reach these aims. Because in Proverbs, the parents know that the best hope they have for leading their child into long life and peace and prosperity is to direct their child's attention to God. It is God who is best equipped to pass on these blessings. It is God that their child really needs to seek out. Seek God first in your life and all these things will be added unto you. Jesus once said. And what follows then in this talk from parent to child are five instructions on how to give God his rightful place in your life. And as we're about to discover, these are five encouragements that we really need to listen to today and put into practice. This is the wisdom of putting God first. The first encouragement that the parents have for their son is that he is to love God. Verses 3 and 4. Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them round your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Then you will win favour and a good name in the sight of God and man. What I find interesting about these verses is that before we can even begin loving God... We must first take in his love for ourselves. Proverbs says that we are to receive God's love in the same way that we might receive a precious necklace from a loved one. God's love is a gift to us. We don't deserve it. We couldn't possibly earn it. We are to accept it and proudly wear it. And the whole of the Bible is the story of how God has chosen to love us. In fact, he chose to love us before we have done anything for him. God has committed himself to be faithful to us. The necklace of love that we find pictured in these verses is like a locket or a chain that serves as this continued reminder of God's covenant to us. The Bible tells us that God has promised to love us right to the end. He will love us at all times, through all the fluctuations of our feelings and all the variations of our worthiness. God will love us in good times and bad. Perhaps this is the one thing that someone here this evening needs to hear. No matter what you're going through right now, no matter what you're feeling, you are loved by God. However, Proverbs encourages us to see that God's love is not just to remain external to our being, like a necklace worn on top of our skin. We're to cherish God's love for us so much that we begin to internalise it. 
We're to let it filter down into our hearts. In the Old Testament, God's law, God's instruction for his people was written on tablets of stone. Moses brought the Ten Commandments down from Mount Sinai on stone tablets. And from these stone tablets, the people were to be guided on how they lived their lives. Well, in verse 3, we read that God's love for us is to be written on the tablet of our heart. Because it's from there that God's love will begin to change our thinking and our speaking and our acting. Perhaps we could put it more simply like this. The more we take in of God's love the more we begin to love him in return. The more we love him in return, the more that love gets reflected out through our behaviour to our neighbours. As we love God more and more, we become more and more like him. And verse 4 tells us that this pleases God and our improved behaviour and character also wins favour with those around us. So the very first instruction that these parents give their son is that he is to love God with all of his being. God is to be first in his heart. But he's to remember that before he takes a single step towards loving God, God has loved him to eternity and back. Of course, as Christians, we don't just picture God's love to us as a necklace anymore. We picture it as a cross. At the cross of Jesus, we see just how deeply God loves us. And at the cross, we get the greatest inspiration to love him in return. So that's the first encouragement, to love God. The second instruction from these parents to their child is that he should learn to trust God as well. Verses 5 and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Now, I know that there are some people in this church for whom these are very special verses. They were given to them at their wedding. What great verses to give a newly married couple. There really is no better advice than this. We are to learn to trust God in all the circumstances of our lives. We are to trust God even when the way ahead seems unclear. We need to learn not to lean on our own understanding, even when we think we know best. We're to stop fighting for independence and submit to God's guidance and will. Proverbs wants us to learn some important things about God. Our God holds the future. So he can see much further ahead than we can. He also loves us, is always faithful to us. So when God gives us advice, it really is the best advice we're ever going to get. In the Bible, God makes promises to us. And those promises bring a deeper security to us than any of our own limited resources could ever manage. If we allow God, he will make our path straight and lead us to himself. I was thinking about these verses when we met with the teenagers at the teen cafe. On Friday, many of them were telling uh, us about the exams that they're facing and how nervous they are. They wanted Emily and I to pray for them. And as I was thinking about this, I began to realise that the wisdom of these verses counters so much of what our teenagers fear at this time. 
at school, our teachers encourage us to get on top of a subject or on top of a particular situation by the force of our intellect. We pick up the message that if we we know enough in life, we'll succeed. And if we don't know enough, we'll fail. It's as if the whole of our future depends on our own personal study. Now, of course, I'm not knocking school or the teachers on this island. I love school. And the Bible tells us that that desire to learn is good and God-given. But the Bible tells us that it's an important lesson that we have to learn to stop relying on our own resources, to stop relying on our own intellect or academic ability, and instead learn to rely on God. You might not have much understanding in the world's eyes, but if you know the Lord and you're searching the scriptures for his guidance and are committed to putting them into practice, you have something greater by far. So the second encouragement that the parents give their son is to trust God. Find out about him. Learn his will and his purpose. Listen to his instructions and put them into practice, even when the world is encouraging you to trust something else. So we're to love God, we're to trust God, but the parents want to go a bit further. Their next instruction is that son is to fear God. Verses 7 and 8. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. This will bring health to your body and nourishment to your bones. In life, the alternative to self-reliance and the alternative to the fear of failure that comes with self-reliance is the fear of the Lord. And we've talked about this before in this series. And in essence, the fear of the Lord is is a sense of awe about God, a sense of, of reverence, a sense of respect. And perhaps the first lesson we must learn on the journey to becoming wise is our place in life. We are not God and we never will be. And when human beings try to pretend that they are God or put themselves in the place of God, we only ever end up destroying ourselves. As I said, this is the very first piece of wisdom in the Bible. It's the story of Adam and Eve. They wanted to be in the place of God, so they ate the fruit, and disaster followed. We live in the age of social media. It is an age that has fostered almost unlimited self-promotion. We now think that people right across the world are interested in what we have for breakfast, so we take a photo of it and post it online for them all to see. Now, of course, social media has many positive benefits, But we have to be really careful about what this is cultivating in our hearts and minds. When we live a life where we're constantly publicising ourselves, we become very concerned about our own self-image. And this, over time, leads to anxiety because we find that we cannot keep up the image that we think society expects of us. And Proverbs tells us to stop this madness because we're not to make gods of ourselves or of other people who we admire. Instead, we're to look up, and we're to look out. 
And rather than fearing what other human beings think of us all the time, we're to cast our eyes up and live in a fear of the holy, sovereign, creator God. It's his perspective on our lives that really matters. Now you might think that that would create more anxiety, but it doesn't. Because the holy God is the same God who sent his son to die on the cross for us to cover our mistakes. He loves us so we can look up to him in confidence. But as we look up to God and we look out at the world, it gives us the right perspective on life. We are not God. We're not even close to being God. We're tiny. We couldn't possibly rely on ourselves. We need him. As we look up to God in reverence and awe and we hold that alongside his love for us, it gives us the perspective on life we need to get through life with our health intact. Fear of what other people think of us online is destroying the mental health of so many young people. Proverbs tells us that if we have the fear of God, it brings health to our body and nourishment to our bones. So let's allow God to be God. Let's worship him. Let's listen to him as God. And then we, his people, will start to live lives in step with him. The best lives that we can have. So we've heard three instructions from parents to son. To love God, to trust God, to fear God. And if he does, he will see the rewards. But of course, there's a slight problem with this. Loving God, trusting God, fearing God. These things don't always come automatically to us. As we've said a couple of times now, we live in a society that's constantly training us to do the opposite. Consumerism, materialism, self-determination. These cultural drives are always tempting us to put ourselves on the throne of our hearts rather than God. And that is why the fourth instruction in our reading is what it is. These wise parents know that if their son is going to love and trust and fear God, he's going to have to train himself to do it. And how do we train ourselves? We train ourselves by honouring God with our money. This is verses 9 and 10. Honour the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruit of all your crops. Then your barns will be filled to overflowing and your vats will brim over with new wine. The fourth instruction from their parents to their son is that he is to honour God. And here we come across the wisdom of regular giving. In the Old Testament, the people gave to God the first fruits of their harvest. In fact, God instructed them to do this because he knew it would be good for them. When the first fruits of the harvest were reaped, there was a great celebration of God's provision. The people took the time to thank God for their food and they acknowledged that all good things come from him. But this giving back of the first fruits to God was also a great statement of trust. The people gave back the first of the crops and they sacrificed the first lambs and the first calves. So it stopped them hoarding them. For themselves they were saying we thank you God for giving us these things 
And we trust that you'll give us the rest of the harvest as well. So we're not going to grasp these first bits of it. So the giving of the first fruits trained the people to be grateful and open-handed, but also to trust God for their security. Now, this wisdom isn't just old hat. As a church, we still try to work this principle today. We honour God by giving back to him of our time and our talents and also of our possessions. Many Christians today tithe. They give the first 10% of their paychecks or their pensions to the work of God in various forms. And this giving is training us, training our hearts to put God first, to give him the attention that he needs. After all, the old adage is true, isn't it? Where you put your money is where you put your heart. So we honour God with our money and it trains us to honour God with all of our lives, with all that we are and all that we do. And notice again, the Bible doesn't tell us to do this because it wants to make our lives hard or spoil all our fun. The Bible encourages us to honour God with what we have because it's good for us. The instruction came with a promise attached. If we honour God, he'll provide for us. And sometimes that'll be in abundance. Our barns will be full and our vats will be overflowing. Now that may sound like hyperbole, but it isn't. We've discovered this to be true as a church. Two years ago, our buildings were in need of great repair, both this one and the one in Port Ellen. And the members of this church decided to give themselves before asking others for money. And what happened? God honoured that step of faith. And we ended up with more money than we needed. We did the repairs, we did some other projects, and we still got some left over. God's wisdom is recorded for us in the Bible because it works. We are to train ourselves to put God first, and we do that with how we use our money. So if we want this long life and this peace and this prosperity, we're to put God first. We are to love God, trust God, fear God, and honour God. But now there comes a bit of reality. Even if we're doing our best to put God first in our lives, even if we're doing our best to follow his way, sometimes we'll get it wrong. Sometimes we will make mistakes. We will fall short. However well-intentioned we may be, we will still sin at times. And it would be utterly naive to think otherwise. And one of the major lessons in Proverbs is that God has set up his world to work in a certain way. Sin has consequences. And sometimes those consequences are experienced as God's discipline of us. And the final instruction in this passage is that we are to heed that discipline. Verse 11 to 12. My son, do not despise the Lord's discipline and do not resent his rebuke because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Receiving discipline is never exactly fun, is it? But it's good and it's necessary. We must understand that there's no contradiction between God's love and God's provision that we've been thinking about and God's discipline. Because as every good parent in this room knows, 
If you fail to discipline a child, you harm the child. To not discipline a child as they mature is not to act in love towards them. Now, we must be a little bit careful here. This is not to say that every hardship we experience in life is a direct result of our sin and and God disciplining us. Sometimes we suffer in this world as innocent victims. There is evil out there, and that is what it is. But we also shouldn't be so foolish to reject an understanding of God's judgment and discipline in our lives. Because God disciplines us because he loves us, and we will never grow out of the need for it. These wise parents instruct their son to see that when things have gone wrong, And when he is experiencing the consequences of his mistakes, he is to take heed of God. He is to confess his sin, turn back to God's ways, put God back to being first in his heart. And God will forgive and God will lead him to new growth. God delights in his children and always wants the best for them. Now, maybe it's because of this mention of discipline, which none of us like to think about, that the writer of Proverbs follows this parental advice in verses 13 to 20 with another one of his little poems. Poems singing out the praise of wisdom. And we're reminded again of just what wisdom brings to us. Fullness of life. Wisdom is better than silver and gold and jewels. Wisdom leads to honour among others. Wisdom leads to pleasure and peace. Wisdom, the poet says, is like a great tree packed full of fruit. We are truly blessed when we take hold of it. And it makes perfect sense because God made his world out of wisdom. And if we follow his wisdom, we will live in the best way that is possible in step with his world. So even though the discipline of God is sometimes difficult to take, if we heed it, it will lead to fulfilment. Now, we've covered a lot of ground in this sermon, so let's now stop and wrap it all up. In Proverbs, the parents want the absolute best for their child, just like every parent in this room does. But they had the wisdom to realise that the best advice they could give is for that child to put God, number one, in their hearts. Still today, the wisest decision that we can make is to love God, Trust God, fear God, honour God, and heed God's discipline. As Christians, we believe that Jesus is the fulfilment of God's wisdom, and we see his love for us at the cross. Let's receive that love into our lives again, and let's set out to put him first by following his call. If we do these things, we will find that we live a life that flourishes.